Informing America's farmers and ranchers. It's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Again, broadcasting today from Orlando, Florida, and the National Ethanol Conference. And we're going to cover a lot of different areas again today, primarily looking to get higher blending ethanol fuels uh, into the marketplace and the what goes on behind the scenes to make that happen when you pull up to the pump and have that option uh, to pick those higher blends. So we're going to be talking a lot about that on today's program, plus a lot of information out, a new study out showing the uh, the positive economic impact that the ethanol industry continues to have. All that coming up on our program today. Just quick check on the news. Uh, we're still waiting to see what the president's going to do, whether or not he's going to sign uh, and, you know, agree with the deal to fund the government. We know he's not completely happy with the deal, but he's expected to probably sign it, but we're waiting to see on that. Concern there for biofuels. It does not look like the package will have a tax extenders portion to it. I know that's a big concern, especially to the biodiesel industry. We'll be talking more about that later this week as well. And we continue to uh, watch what's happening with trade. Some some positive comments here or there uh, when it comes to uh, trade with China and the talks going on there, but still nothing final, nothing definite. We continue to keep an eye on that. All right, back here in Florida at the National Ethanol Conference, joining us now is Steve Walk. He's CEO of ProTech Fuel Management. Steve, thanks for joining us. Um, tell us a little bit about your company and what it is you do to help get these higher ethanol blends into the marketplace. Sure. Well, first off, thanks thanks for having me, and, and I'm excited to, to kind of share a little bit about what ProTech Fuel is doing in the ethanol industry. A uh, little history, ProTech has been around since the 1990s. We're a full-service provider uh, of fuel, and, and we really started out as a risk management company. And now, today, we've grown into being one of the largest distributors of higher ethanol blends uh, to independent retailers and fleets in the country. Uh, back in about 2006-ish, a client of ours, a customer of ours in Texas, said, hey, we want to open an E85, we want to do E85. And and ProTech's always been positioned to kind of solve problems for retailers and, and help make them more successful. So we put in the first E85 dispenser in, in Texas. And then from there, we were one of the first to, to put them in, in Florida and in Miami and Arkansas and North Carolina, Maryland and, and Atlanta and other states. And from that experience over the years is what's really helped ProTech to help other retailers expand higher ethanol blends in the form of E15 and E85. So when you're talking with a retailer, what are usually their questions? What are their concerns about making that move to higher blends? Yeah, so their questions from a retailer's perspective is, uh, first, it's compatibility and equipment, and, and that can be addressed as to what do they have in the ground now or if they build in a new store, that can easily be answered. Uh, probably the most common question is, how is this going to impact my other fuels on the island? Um, ultimately, every store uh, uh, would like to help solve customers or, or customers demands and, and that is offer a variety of fuels to help increase their foot traffic because at the end of the day it's all about getting their customer to come to the store and then come inside to buy their higher margin products so their first billboard if you will is that fuel island so if they have fuels on the on the island that can sell you know e85 e15 uh, gasoline diesel or what have you they're they're kind of covering all the bases uh, from a general consumer standpoint. So what they ask me is, how can I incorporate this fuel? Is it going to impact my other fuels? Am I going to make more money or less money? And how does that really, really play in part? So we've really held their hand to kind of explain that here's your margin on gas, here's your margin on E85 and E15, and here's what the station would be collectively. 
ultimately with the goal of making sure that the store is more healthy, uh, both short-term and long-term. And, and we have had cases where we've taken out premium fuel mm -hmm. and replaced it with E15 uh, because it made sense in that demographic and in that marketplace, and they've, they've achieved that success. What have you seen in the markets that you're in uh, when when E15 is offered? How does that impact the sales of the other blends? How does it impact E10 question. or the others? Yep, uh, great question. We have seen, uh, first let me back it up. So when we put in E85, not E15, but when we add E85 to a store, that station we have seen, that station will see a 3% increase in their E10 sales. Regardless of what they sell in E85, they'll see a 3% increase in E10 sales. I don't know why specifically other than, it just the customer comes and maybe says that we can't fill up with E85, I'm already here and I'll fill up with E10. I don't know, but they, they see an increase. Now, when you add E15 to it, we see, in another, we see another 15% increase in that volume. So collectively, you're between 15 and 20% increase in volume of whatever the store was doing prior. So if a store was doing 100,000 gallons a month of gasoline, for example, after they put in these fuels, they'll be selling 115 to 120,000 gallons a month. And the ethanol is typically at a higher margin than, than what the, their gas, regular gasoline margin is. So the station's happy. You made an interesting comment uh, on stage here at the mm -hmm. conference today that uh, even though we're seeing automakers really make fewer flex fuel vehicles, we're seeing more popularity and more demand for E85 than we maybe we ever have, right? We, yeah, we are. And it's interesting. I remember 20 years ago where it was a chicken and egg. We, we, we had maybe the cars or more cars coming online, but we didn't have the stations. Today, from a retailer's mindset, they're extremely interested in E85 as well as E15. But mu mu a lot of interest in E85. And what I think the uh, what we can do is maybe help get the car companies to put more flex vehicles on the road to not only take e85 but also to take we're we're really trying to position a store to be future ready to try really try to take the e20 and the e30 blends um and look past e15 and we we view e15 as a stepping stone hmm. ultimately we want to get to an e20 or an e30 blend and by using the dispensers and blending the fuel and using e85 kind of as a feedstock and let the dispenser do the blending for you it really positions that store to flip the switch overnight and be up and running and selling whatever ethanol blend they choose we're talking with Steve Walk, CEO of Protect Fuel Management here at the National Ethanol Conference. Steve, what do you, what is your experience when when a, a consumer comes up to the pump? Are they looking first at price? Are they looking at octane? What are they looking for usually? That's a good question, and I'm smiling when I'm going to answer this, and, and I don't know if my wife is listening. So I asked her that question a handful of years ago, and she said to me, I just picked the one in the middle. And I said, why? And she said, because that's what you told me to do 15 or 20 years ago, so that's what I do today. So we found that a lot of customers, they look at price, and price is always important, but it's also the habit of, I pick the furthest button on the left, because that's just where the 87 is, and, mm -hmm. and I don't pay attention to anything else. Um, so we've learned, and we strategically have positioned the dispensers to maybe have the 88 or the E15 be the furthest button on the left. And sometimes I think we capture sales as a result. At the same, thing, the same time, what we've also learned is that price per gallon on E15, if it's equal to 87, that station's going to sell more E15. If it's discounted to 87 octane gasoline, they're not going to have as much sales success as they otherwise would. I heard you talking about that this morning. I thought that was fascinating in that uh, a lot of people expect... If they're going to have a higher octane level, a level that the, it's going to cost more. It shouldn't be so discounted. It's kind confused. of opposite what you would think. Right. That's right. Yeah. And they get confused. So the oil companies have done a great job over the years of 
the higher the octane, the better the fuel, or the quote, mm -hmm. better the fuel. It's not that it's better, it's just higher octane. And so to sell 88 octane less than your regular 87, the customer scratches their head. That doesn't seem to make sense. But when you sell it for the same price, that as, you know what, I'm getting a value or I'm getting a, a, a benefit. I'm getting a higher octane fuel and I'm not paying for it. This is great. Well, I think it's fascinating, and hopefully we're going to see more and more uh, uh, in the marketplace these higher blends. Like you said, 15 takes us to E20 and E30 and, and go from there. Thank you. the time. Thank All right, you. thank you. Steve Walk, he's CEO of ProTech Fuel Management. We'll take a break. Come back here to Florida to the National Ethanol Conference. We'll talk with Robert White, RFA's Vice President of Industry Relations, as we talk more about working with retailers around the country to get those higher ethanol blends into the marketplace. Stay with us. You're listening to AO Agriculture. Did you know you can listen to the latest podcast of Adams on Agriculture or hear the top news and weekend review from the American Ag Network on your Amazon Alexa? Play my flash briefing. Use the Alexa app to search for the podcast you want to play. Search for Adams on Agriculture to learn about the issues affecting agriculture each weekday. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Again. Or you can search for the American Ag Network. This is the American Ag Network Week in Review. I'm Sabrina Hill. Stay up to date on agriculture with the sound of your voice on your Amazon device. You're not wired to have a response to this sound. You're neutral to it. And you can hear it repeatedly without feeling anything. But when we introduce a new stimulus, save the food. We've achieved pulling a natural or inborn response from you. Save the food. Why are we doing this, you may ask? Save the food. Because this ad is trying to change the world's behavior through brainwashing. Because 40% of all food in the US never gets eaten. Save the food. And that costs a family of four $1,500 a year. Save the food. Cha-ching. It's worsening climate change through the release of methane gas. Save the food. Cha-ching. And it's wasting precious natural resources like our fresh water. Save the food. Cha-ching. So when you hear this sound, don't be neutral. Rethink your behavior. Cook it, store it, share it. Just don't waste it. For tips and recipes, visit savethefood.com. Brought to you by NRDC and the Ad Council. Hi, I'm George Foreman. Do you have an idea for a new product or invention? People ask me all the time, George, how do I get my idea in front of companies? How do I get a patent? What do I do next? Do you have the same questions? I'll tell you like I'll tell them all. Call my friends at InventHelp. To get your free inventor's information, call 1-800-352-0432. That's 1-800-352-0432. I believe every inventor deserves the opportunity to step into the ring and take their best shot. Put InventHelp in your corner. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? 
Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Welcome back. We're in Orlando, Florida for the National Ethanol Conference. Many years ago, more years than he or I would uh, care to admit to, uh, my next guest, Robert White, who is now Vice President, Industry Relations for the Renewable Fuels Association. Many years ago, we were out doing pump tours and promotions at gas stations, trying to get people to use what to them, to them was new, E10. And, uh, you know, a lot of people were wondering about whether or not uh, they could use that fuel. Now it's in all of our fuel, basically. And and I was just thinking, uh, Robert, how far we have come. And now we're kind of doing it now with E15. Yeah, and, and in many places it's it's E85, too. I, I made a joke on stage just a few minutes ago that, you know, in the, in the old days, and I was victim of, you know, I did part of this on, as well, where a new station at E85 station was a good station. No, we wanted numbers, mm-hmm. and and now we're looking at quality versus quantity. But we are indeed, some in some cases, exchanging those E85 stations that maybe should have never been built. But we're putting them in Miami and Houston and and Jacksonville and Orlando, and these, uh, you know, E85 has been around a long time, but not to these people. Right. You know, they've had these flex fuel vehicles. They're seeing this fuel for the first time. It's in the uh, in most cases, a, a strong discount, and so they have to stop and see if it's something for them. So, yeah, between E15 and E85 outside the Midwest, uh, it's getting fun again. How are we doing in getting E15 into different markets around the country? Well, I mean, outside of the reformulated gasoline markets, they're still worried about the summer volatility season. And, you know, despite the president's announcement and council bluffs uh, back in November, we still don't have a proposed rulemaking mm-hmm. from EPA and, you know, even with a 45-day comment period and a 45-day uh, final rulemaking process, uh, June 1 is quickly on us. And uh, without that signal, without that, uh, you know, uh, knowledge, the retailers that are not offering E15 today simply cannot make that move. Uh, but those that are selling it today, they are, you know, banking on when June 1st comes, they can continue to move forward. But that's really what's holding us all up. We got a little excited yesterday. The news looked like there was a breakthrough there, that it, that uh, that was going to be separated out. The REN re- reform is, was going to be separated out and kind of push this forward to getting it done. Now the EPA's backed off of that, and we're back to not knowing, and it's back to looking, boy, it's going to be tough getting it done by June 1. Yeah, I hate to pull my crystal ball out, but I still don't know how they – don't bifurcate that rulemaking process and separate the REN reform to to get it done. They don't need REN reform by June 1st. They need mm-hmm. uh, the volatility done by June 1st. We're talking with Robert White, Vice President, Industry Relations for the Renewable Fuels Association. So, Robert, when we look at E15, we were just talking with Steve Walk about this. Um, uh, you know, retailers are going to, they're looking at that summer uh availability whether or not they can sell it in the summer they're also looking at the, the infrastructure commitment that they're they're they would have to make now after the president's announcement we had casey's and another pretty good size chain come out and say they would offer e15 but are they waiting too for that summer announcement as well well i mean some of those cumberland farms mm-hmm. mostly an east coast retailer was the other big one and you know we've we've seen i think casey's is up to maybe 80 or 85 of the 500 they said a lot of these are, are greenfield. I actually have a couple of them in, around me in Kansas City, uh, which is nice uh, to see a brand mm-hmm. new station with. And what's what's fun about this one, or the two around me, they actually have E0. 
So no matter what fuel you want, you're staring at a dispenser that has E0, E10, E15, and E85. Now that's a blender pump, right? That is a blender pump, and, and even more so, you see the economic promise right in front of you. You know, 30, 40 cents differential between 87 E0 and 87 E10, and that's, you know, an instant education for the consumer. Hey, well, you know, what's going on here? Ethanol saving me money. So we talk a lot about consumer choice, giving the, the motorists those different options. Does that lead, though, to some consumer confusion? Is that where the education part of this has to come in? Well, and we talked about it yesterday. We did some focus groups uh, before the NEC just to kind of get the consumer feel uh, as of late, and choice actually was a concern. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they pull up, and, you know, some of these stations have gone quite exotic where diesel fuel is even on the same dispenser as, as E0 and E15 and E85. So then you're concerned about misfueling sometimes. Right, right. And, and you know, we, we have a lot of technology uh, in the dispenser and in the vehicles that we're not using, but I promise before I retire there will be a time <laughs> where you pull up to the pump and the car tells the dispenser what fuel it can use, and only those options light up. I'm ready for that time myself. Yeah. I have to admit, you know, you pull in, you you start looking, is it a prepay, or can I, you know, wait and pay afterwards? And you're you're trying to figure out which blend you want, and you're looking at price, you're looking at octane. There, there is quite a bit there for if the motors wants to do that. I think we're a lot of times people are creatures of habit, and they always go to the same bump and, and do the same thing every time. Well, I had to drive down here uh, for a couple different reasons. Brought the E85 chopper down here for NEC and, and two weeks Commodity Classic. And so, you know, had to fill up a few times between here and Kansas City. And as I went state to state, the, the nozzle colors changed. Mm-hmm. So where I'm used to green is a diesel, right? Right. Stopped in uh, Tennessee somewhere. Green was regular, and black was diesel. Hmm. So I mean, we there's a lot of flaws in our fueling, I guess, setup nationally that we can improve on as well. So I, I you know, we talked about on stage about how many diesel misfuelings there are each week. We still haven't had one on E15 in six and a half years, but that's all we hear about uh, from the opposition. Uh, so I, it's. It's all about education, making sure everyone understands, and the and the retailers need to do just a little bit more to help us all out. And let's face it, a lot of times when you pull up to get fuel, you're in a hurry, yep. or it's winter and you're cold. You don't yep. you want to get back in the car, so those things all play a part in it too. I always try and think about the education process at the pump as a minivan just pulled up, mom by herself, dad's wherever, but mom's in the driver's seat, three kids screaming at her, mm-hmm. and she's making a fueling decision and. You know, when when a lot of these retailers started with E15, they thought, we'll teach them what E15 is. They didn't know what E10 was because right. it just became, you know, a, a normal thing across the country. I was talking about this yesterday. Um, we've now had E10 in our fuel for, what, 20, 30 years sure. something, or something like that? Some, some places longer. Some places longer. That's right. And a lot of people don't even know what it is. It's just, it's just an accepted part of their fuel, and they and, – and, Boy, when I look back and think what we went through in those early years of E10, that's quite an accomplishment that it is now just accepted and, and people don't even think about it. Hopefully we can get to that point with E15 and maybe E20 or 30. Well, the ironic thing is, you know why no one knows what E10 is? No problems. Well, oil companies didn't want to tell them. Well, yeah. And so now, fast forward, and now we want to do E15 and oil companies are saying Telling. the exact opposite. Yeah, yeah. So, it, it, you know, times have changed. We we've, have hit the main stage and, you know, it, it's going to take some time. Those oil companies, 
knowing what happened with E10, now they're they're concerned it's going to be that kind of transition to E15, right? And right. it's going to be that well accepted. I mean, you had a couple, obviously, major things happen. MTBE was found to be not quite as the magic elixir they had hoped for in, in the underground uh, storage, underground water storage contamination. And, you know, E10 got a catapulted through a lot of the pipelines, and, and or, you know, MTBE was removed so ethanol could be used. Uh, so there was a lot of that going on. But, uh, yeah, I mean, if they could, they could turn back time, they wouldn't have been so agreeable to some of these things. Focus more and more now on uh, high octane, low sulfur. That's uh, That plays right into the uh, the ethanol message, doesn't it? Yeah, and uh, to be honest, it's, it's kind of been interesting the last couple of years where low carbon was such a talking point. We had a new administration come in, and carbon became a bad word again. Uh, but now we're back in election cycle, yeah. and uh, low carbon is going to be a, a a critical part of the conversation, whether you believe in the climate change or not. Right. It's it's just going to be there. I think it says low sulfur meant low carbon. Uh, yeah, because I remember remember a few years ago when that came out uh, in California, their high carbon, uh, you know, uh, what was it initiative out there? The law they put in place, and and it wasn't. They were kind of saying ethanol wasn't going to work with that or didn't seem like ethanol was going to work with it. Now things have changed, haven't they? They have considerably. Back then they wanted Brazilian ethanol because it was uh, about land use change. You know, mm-hmm. somehow the yeah. the ethanol in America was adjusting uh, the deforestation rates in Brazil. You know, th- those types of things have definitely changed because the only thing keeping the low-carbon fuel standard afloat in California is E10. The credits are getting more expensive. They're having to cash in more than they were prepared for. And so they honestly have to look at E15 because EVs haven't come at the pace they had hoped for. And, you know, uh, natural gas and, and vehicles, they have to have a release valve, and ethanol can prov- provide that for them. It's interesting, the evolution that has taken place there. Real quick, what, do you, what are your thoughts about this push uh, to electric and, uh, you know, what that means for liquid fuel vehicles moving forward? Well, I, I just really focus on consumer demand. There is none. People like to, and with the exception of some places in California and maybe some on the East Coast, but, you know, for you and me, it, it's hard to get your arms around. You have range anxiety. You have, you know, all these other factors, and most importantly, cost. You know, Congress is talking about removing the tax credit right now, so these vehicles might go up 4500 to maybe 7500 more than they were already expensive amount so i I'm, I'm looking at you know a 2050 probably 20 maybe even as early as 2040 or half the new cars or evs that's a long time we got a lot of fuel so robert good to see you again take Thank care you. robert white he is the uh, vice president industry relations for the renewable fuels association travels a lot of miles around this country working with retailers on getting a higher blend ethanol fuels in the marketplace. All right, stay with us. Much more to come from the National Ethanol Conference here in Orlando, Florida on AOA. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, We'll probably stay together. Probably? (laughs) It's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. 
Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Grain and soybeans continue to trade both sides of steady money, awaiting news later this week about the U.S.-China trade meeting that's underway in Beijing. USDA will release its export sales for the week ending January 3rd on Thursday, with the agency combining the next six weeks of export sales into one report for release next week. Meanwhile, the CFTC will release its next commitment of traders on Friday, which will show data from the week of January 25th due to the government shutdown. In soybean futures, we haven't strayed too far from unchanged so far on this Wednesday. Near steady, an hour into the day, the market shrugged off Monday's weakness and marked out new support at 9.03.5 at this week's low. The March bean contract closed just above the 20-day moving average on Tuesday, that is a bullish sign on the charts. We're a fraction to a penny and a fraction lower in corn, but big picture, March corn's been consolidating between support at 367 and a half, resistance at 387 and three quarters, the high from December 12th. We have not broken that range on this Wednesday. In the wheats, we've trended in a mix with weakness once again. In Kansas City, we closed lower in that market for the sixth consecutive session yesterday. For livestock at the Merck and live cattle futures on this Wednesday, we are trending 32 to 55 cents lower after closing 22 to a dollar lower yesterday. Feeder cattle, 32, 55 cents lower in the nearbys. Cash cattle, bids and asking prices said to be slow to develop so far here midweek. In lean hog futures, near unchanged the February and April contracts. Outside markets on Wall Street, the Dow up 156 points, NASDAQ up 25, S&P up 13, March crude oil up $1.11. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Thousands of people contact InventHelp monthly about their invention or new product. Do you think companies would be interested in your idea? Do you want to try to get a patent? Call InventHelp now. Best of all, the call and information are free. InventHelp keeps your idea confidential, explaining every step of the invention process. We create professional materials and submit them to companies who are looking for new ideas in your category. We have more than 9,000 companies who have agreed to review new ideas in confidence. If a company shows interest in manufacturing, Manufacturing your invention, we can negotiate on your behalf. We have helped over 10,000 clients receive patents. We offer 3D modeling and animation, prototyping services, and we use state-of-the-art technology to present client ideas to additional companies. Join people just like you who made the call to invent help. You have nothing to lose. The call and the information are free. Call 1-800-213-4556. That's 1-800-213-4556. Again, 1-800-213-4556. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. And welcome back. We continue our coverage of the National Ethanol Conference here in Orlando, Florida. The conference uh, wrapping up here in a few more minutes. We heard this morning from Deputy USDA Secretary Steve Sinsky and um, 
He's continuing. He's a great advocate for the renewable fuels industry at USDA. He's many years as CEO of the American Soybean Association, so he's very well versed in, in the renewable fuels and continues to be a, a good spokesperson for for the industry and in a very important position there as a deputy secretary. Uh, joining us now is Mindy Larson Polberg. She is director of government relations for the Iowa Corn Growers. When you think of the state of Iowa, not only a, a huge ethanol production state, but also a state that's done a very good job of getting ethanol out into the marketplace. Mindy, thanks for joining us. Uh, This relationship between corn growers and the ethanol industry is a strong one. It's been growing for several years now. Yes. uh, First of all, uh, thanks for having me on the show today. It is a great conference, and I uh, appreciate the fact that you guys are providing so much coverage to your listeners on this very important topic. Um, Corn growers uh, in Iowa and across America are very passionate about the topic of ethanol. uh, We do work hand-in-hand with the ethanol industry uh, to be able to move... um, the corn grind, as we call it, through um, our value-added, and, and ethanol is a huge part of that uh, growth for the future. It is amazing when I think back over the years how far the technology has come, uh, the products coming out of these ethanol plants now, the diversity in those plants, and uh, the many products, and we've seen the growth in the, the co-products with the animal feed, but we're seeing a lot of other products coming as well now. We are, and very proud of uh, working with the Iowa Corn Promotion Board and the a lot of corn promotion boards across the country who are investing in research for the future in in growing those ag products uh, to make sure that we have markets for our corn products. Um, it, it is a, it is a very important uh, work of the promotion boards across the country as well. Well, I know you're looking closely, as is the entire industry, about this summer. Will we get the approval for sale of E15 throughout the summer months? It's you know EPA keeps keeps saying that they're going to get it done by then but uh, boy it's it's getting close i think that we actually will get the uh, the rule uh, for those of you who know me i'm I am an optimist. I'm a pragmatist, but an optimist. But but um, all, all signs indicate from EPA that they want to put out this rule. And actually, um, Deputy Secretary Sinski just this morning here at this conference said that essentially if they uh, were not able to get the rule out on time for June 1, that they were going to be considering some sort of a, uh, a waiver as it relates to enforcement to make sure that um, there was no uh, miscommunication to uh, retail stations that this was going to be an enforceable rule. They they want to make sure they spread the word that the rule is coming. It's going to be here, and we certainly don't want anybody to get in trouble for selling E15 in the summertime. But this administration wants to be able to sell it for this summer. I hear differing opinions on how much of an impact summer sales, year-round sales of E15 would have. When you look at your state of Iowa, what would the impact be? So the, sum, the summer, this is, this is a good question because essentially it doesn't, this is not a mandate. This does not make it so that every gallon is going to be sold has, has 15% ethanol instead of uh, 10% ethanol. Even though critics try to yes. portray it to be that <laughs> Even way. So, it, it's not a mandate. That's no. right. So the consumer is still going to need to choose that E15 as a choice at their pump. And so when you look at the actual volume gallons for this individual summer, um, you know, it might be smaller than you might expect. But what it does is it sends a major signal about this product this product is not a confusing product to use. This product is always out there. And it sends a huge signal to the retail stations out there who are sort of willing to sell it, but it's so complicated right now because they have to have label on in one time of year, label off in another time of year. And so once once E15 is able to be sold uh, year-round, 
just like E10 with no complications, it will just really pave the way for a lot stronger usage. And, and that's what we're looking forward to. And sends that signal for those that are not offering it now, maybe that they will start in the future. That's right. And then the other thing that's super important for, um, for us as corn growers, so E15 by itself is important, but the reed vapor pressure or RVP waiver that we're talking about, it affects also higher blends for the future. So, you know, when we dream of an E20 or an E30 blend that's coming for the future, this problem that we're having with E15 involving reed vapor pressure must be solved or we cannot continue to grow for the future either. So it's this first step in working toward even higher blends for the future as it relates to corn, corn growers. Yeah, we heard Steve Walk uh, with ProTech Fuel Management say earlier, he sees E15 as that stepping stone to E20 and E30. That's right. And I don't want to diminish the fact that this is an important rule. It, it, it will be great and a big victory uh, for corn growers and ethanol producers to get E15. But again, RVP for all blends is very important. We're talking with Mindy Larson-Polberg, Director of Government growers association your state has done a good job of getting uh, ethanol blends out into the marketplace when i drive through the state it's it's very visible and uh, easy to find uh, it has a big impact doesn't it on your state's economy i mean uh, in our next segment we're going to be talking more about the economic impact of the ethanol industry but if you look at an individual state like iowa it makes a big difference it does agriculture is the cornerstone of iowa's economy much like many uh, rural states across america and uh it's really great to see our product out there, but it's also great to see that it's it's good for the consumers as well. It's a great choice for them. They have an opportunity to pay less at the pump. It's good air quality for the environment and all of those things. In Iowa, I'd like to give a shout out to the Iowa legislature and our, um, you know, Governor Reynolds and Governor Branstead and uh, those that came before uh, to be able to... Um, to fund an infrastructure program and in the state of Iowa, we provide incentives for retailers who put in those, um, you know, E85 dispensers, biodiesel dispensers, E15, to, to provide that incentive. Because just like farmers would love a little bit of cost share assistance sometimes with conservation practices, it's really great to be able to provide a proactive, positive incentive to the retail stations as well. And we've seen other states do that as well to varying degrees. And now the federal government has helped some with they some have. programs. but. And we've heard some of this mentioned here at this conference that it looking forward, it may take more on the state level to, to work through some of these things because we know it, and that can be a challenge in some state levels. But dealing with the federal bureaucracy can really be burdensome at times. So it, it may be uh, incumbent upon the states to step in and do even more of this in the future. Yes. When it comes to ethanol, there's not one solution that's going to be the only thing that we should be doing. So some people are big advocates of E85. Some people are big advocates of E15. Some people are believe that the, the best way is, is, is different than others. But what's important is to be able to provide those opportunities to for, for everyone. And for infrastructure funding, it's the same. So federal government provided a program, um, a biofuels infrastructure program or BIP, a program for, for funding. Most of those funds um, uh, were utilized, which is great, but it did not include everyone. And so we also have to look to every opportunity, whether that's a state legislature or whether that's private promotions. You know, I, our Iowa Corn Promotion Board uh, works and, and funds a lot of promotions of the program as well to make consumers aware of the product, uh, to help them to choose the product and all of these things working together is what causes a successful um, promotion it is an educational process and and sometimes you forget 
how complicated fueling is. And I mean, we take it for people pull up, you get gas at the at the gas station. But all that goes on behind the scenes and the different decisions and the, the red tape, the regulations and all that. I mean, there's a lot that goes on before you can go up there to that pump and, and fill up. There sure is. And obviously we want people to fill up with the appropriate fuel that they're supposed to, and we want everyone to be safe and, and, uh, and whatnot. But it's, it's important that we also have those options available to the consumer that to choose ethanol, to choose corn-based ethanol, which we believe is good for uh, not only the corn grower, but, but the American people. When we look at the, your state of Iowa, a number of ethanol plants there, those plants employ people, create jobs, economic activity. That's a big part of the story of ethanol. It sure is, and we want to keep that going. Um, as you know, as your listeners know, um, the farm economy maybe hasn't been as um, as, as, as positive as the rest of the economy right now with the recovery. And we need to keep every single market that we can as corn growers. We need to make sure that we maintain every market that we have, whether that's in our with our trade agreements or uh, whether it's in the area of ethanol. Um, and we certainly need to build, uh, grow more markets for the future to be able to help our, our farmers be profitable. So the big issues right now, getting E15 sales year-round and what's happening with the RFS and these uh, small refinery exemptions and what are the levels going to be moving forward. These are huge issues for the industry. Right. So we, we have to be able to maintain that market that we have. So we have to keep the RFS that we have in place. Um, so we're, we're trying to promote for the future uh, on the higher blends, of course, with E15 and higher blends even beyond that. But we're also trying to protect on the backside, which is maintain that RFS that we have. And, and we are, um, we as an industry, corn growers and ethanol producers are in litigation right now talking about, uh, talking in, in litigation speak uh, to the administration about the granting of small refinery exemptions and how we think that that was inappropriate and has been very harmful to the market for ethanol and corn growers. Those were gallons lost that you hope to be able to get back. Remains to be seen if you can. That's right, but we're going to keep fighting and uh, we're going to keep asking your listeners to be able to join in with us on that fight because um, our voices are being heard. Um, if, 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 if you notice what's been happening, there's a lot of activity in the regulatory space as it relates to ethanol in the last year or two, but um, we are being heard. It's a lot of work, but we have to keep raising our voices and keep being heard so that we can keep holding um, that RFS in place or keep building for those higher blends of ethanol for the future. Well, you know you're being heard by how strongly the oil industry is pushing back at times, right? You've got their attention. Well, you're right. You know, sometimes you know that if uh, if, if you're you're if you're making waves, if other people are objecting to what you're doing, I guess that you you are trying to make a difference. So we're going to see any new uh, programs or uh, uh, promotions in Iowa when it comes to ethanol. You got anything in, in the works? Yes, we're we're very interested uh, in, in in working toward that even even higher blend of ethanol uh, beyond beyond the E15. That really is our focus for the future. Yeah. When we talk about blender pumps, we're talking about options uh, for the, uh, the motorists when they pull up. What blend did you want? Um, we talked earlier about this. Maybe it gets confusing at times, but really we're talking about choice for the uh, for the motorist, right? It is, and there there might be some options to work on getting an even higher octane option for ethanol for the future and, and providing something that's, uh, you know, stronger for the performance of your car as well as utilizing ethanol and um you know, corn growers are working with our ethanol partners on, on programs like that as well. Yeah, I think we'll just scratch the surface, really. We have. Mindy, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. Mindy Larson-Polberg, she's Director of Government Relations for the Iowa Corn Growers Association. Interesting numbers out showing the economic impact of the ethanol industry on our nation's economy. We're going to talk about that next with the Chief Economist with the Renewable Fuels Association, Scott Richmond, next on AOA, Adams on Agriculture.
powerful threat calls for a greater response. When there's a battle, bring strength. When there's a problem, seek answers. When there is doubt, give hope. Not tomorrow. Not in a few years. But right now. Some battles must be faced together. Cancer fighters stand up to cancer every day. And you can be part of this battle too. to learn more. Together, we can save lives. Sometimes life is wonderful, and sometimes it's not. Cherish the good, but always be prepared for life's challenges. At Private Healthcare, we provide the peace of mind you deserve. With Private Healthcare, you'll get the coverage you want and healthcare you need. If your employer doesn't supply healthcare coverage and you don't qualify for Medicare or Medicaid, you need to give us a call right now. Private Healthcare is private health insurance for ages 65 and under with medical, dental, vision, and even prescription coverage. When life comes at you unexpectedly, you need to be ready and health insurance is your financial safety net. If you're looking for health coverage at the best price and your annual household income is 35,000 or more, give us a call at 800-664-2612. That's 800-664-2612. 800-664-2612. You're not wired to have a response to this sound. You're neutral to it. And you can hear it repeatedly without feeling anything. But when we introduce a new stimulus, save the food. We've achieved pulling a natural or inborn response from you. Save the food. Why are we doing this, you may ask? Save the food. Because this ad is trying to change the world's behavior through brainwashing. Because 40% of all food in the U.S. never gets eaten. Save the food. And that costs a family of four $1,500 a year. Save the food. Cha-ching. It's worsening climate change through the release of methane gas. Save the food. Cha-ching. And it's wasting precious natural resources like our fresh water. Save the food. Cha-ching. So when you hear this sound, don't be neutral. Rethink your behavior. Cook it, store it, share it. Just don't waste it. For tips and recipes, visit savethefood.com. Brought to you by NRDC and the Ad Council. If you suffer from heartburn or other digestive-related disorders, then there is a new, safe, better, and natural alternative to better digestive wellness and heartburn relief. Praxid not only provides relief of heartburn, but Praxid takes a 360-degree approach to support better digestion, protect you from harmful bacteria, and also balance your stomach to improve digestive functions. We like to think of it as the multivitamin of digestive health. It's the only product to combine all natural ingredients known for the digestive health properties into a single patented product. Praxid also comes in easy-to-carry packs. Praxid relieves, restores, and maintains a healthy digestive system. Praxid is available here for only $39.95. Shipping and handling is free, and your money back is guaranteed. To take advantage of this special radio offer, call now, 1-800-829-5705. That's 1-800-829-5705. Again, 1-800-829-5705. I can't get my computer to work. Let me help you with that. 
how'd you do that? I just got techie with Geeks On Site. Our geeks literally come on site. No need to stop what you're doing or block off time. We come to your home, office, or wherever you are. And we don't just fix whatever computer issues you might be having. We explain and teach you along the way so you can feel empowered and then help others at home or in your office. Better yet, don't have time for tech support to come to you? Let us remote into your desktop or laptop, and one of our geeks will instantly walk you through. We offer affordable prices on our remote services and IT support. You and those in your office will never have to wait hours to have your technical questions answered. Get your free computer diagnosis today with your very own geek. Get started now and we'll help you instantly. Call 855-801-2854. 855-801-2854. That's 855-801-2854. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. And welcome back here to the National Ethanol Conference in Orlando, Florida. I'm always amazed, pleasantly surprised at the, the economic impact the ethanol industry has on our general economy in this country. We talk a lot about what it means for a rural economy, rural communities, with jobs and taxes and things like that. But when you look at the big picture, it's having an impact on the on the whole country. Joining us now to talk about it is Scott Richmond, who is chief economist for the Renewable Fuels Association. And the latest numbers show that the, that impact continues to grow, Scott. Absolutely. It's a, it's a tremendous story to be able to tell. And, Mike, thanks for uh, being at the National Ethanol Conference this year uh, in beautiful and warm mm -hmm. uh, Orlando. Uh, this conference provides us a great opportunity to kind of sit back and take stock of what's going on in the industry. And sometimes uh, people can get a little bit lost in the news, some of the arcane developments uh, out of D.C. And I think it's really important to remind everybody uh, when this sort of work is done uh, exactly what the impact uh, of the ethanol industry on the U.S. economy is. So there's the saying 24-7-365 uh, and uh, when I looked at the at the numbers that uh, ABF Economics uh, had come w come up with, uh, an easy way for me to remember it was 2550 and 366. Uh, the ethanol industry contributes uh, 25 billion dollars uh, in income uh, to US households. Uh, it contributes nearly 50 billion dollars uh, in GDP to the U.S. economy, to the American economy, uh, the actual number is $46 billion. That is a large contribution. Uh, and the 366 is 366,000 jobs uh, supported by uh, the ethanol industry. That's both direct in our industry uh, and the uh, leverage through uh, indirect and, and induced, of, in, induced effects. So we have a pretty large economic impact, and I think when we start talking about what's going on in the markets and what's going on in D.C. and some of the regulations, it's important for people to remember uh, exactly how large of an impact we have and how much of it uh, accrues to uh, agriculture and rural economies. Tax revenue, uh, local, state, and national, that's a big story, too. Yes, so uh, almost $10 billion, just about equally split between the federal government uh, and uh, state and local, local governments. Uh, and uh, uh, it's nice to be able to say that that's actually been, as large as that is, it's actually 
a smidge lower uh, in 2018 as a result of uh, as a result of tax reform. And you look at the, the amount of um, gasoline displaced from other countries. I mean, when we look at uh, uh, roughly 550 million barrels of imported crude oil, uh, you know that we didn't have to buy, so that keeps uh, right here in our U.S. economy, $36 billion staying in the U.S. economy. We're not having to buy uh, fuel from another country. Absolutely. So virtually 100% of the uh, of the raw materials, uh, of the inputs for, uh, for ethanol production, and 100% uh, of the processing uh, is done right here uh, in the United States. And so that's 550 uh, million barrels that... Uh, uh, that we're looking at being displaced and not only having the, econo- the economic impact associated with that stay within uh, the United States, but also thinking about the environmental uh, benefits that go along with that. Roughly 43% lower greenhouse gas emissions. So when you look at, uh, when you look at the environmental and economic impact together, uh, it's a compelling story that I think we have to keep reminding people about because they've gotten used to this industry. Uh, they say this industry's arrived. It's a decent-sized uh, industry, but the things that we're doing uh, every year are important to remember. We have a lot of people, a lot of politicians right now talking a lot about uh, green and the environment and looking for new uh, things and going in different directions. I mean, it's always good to be looking and be innovative and see what's out there. But don't overlook what we have right now, and that's the renewable fuels industry that's already uh, benefiting and helping the environment. We have a renewable fuels industry that is delivering at scale with uh, environmental benefits, uh, much lower greenhouse gas emissions. And, you know, I've, I've been around the industry for quite a long time, about 25 years. Uh, and during that time, there's always been... Uh, there's always been this desire to look at what's next, what's ahead, what is, what would we like to happen 10 and 15 years out. And it's important not to overlook the fact that uh, the renewable fuels industry, and particularly the ethanol industry, with over 16 billion gallons of production, is delivering uh, environmental benefits at scale right now. We're talking with Scott Richmond. He's chief economist for the Renewable Fuels Association. Scott, we talk a lot about trade and trade wars and tensions and tariffs and things like that and how it impacts different uh, segments of agriculture Uh, but it's one of those areas is certainly ethanol i mean we've had some tremendous ethanol successes export successes and we've seen that curtailed by these trade issues china being one of them absolutely and and you know make make note let there be no doubt about it the industry's had a tough a tough few months here um, part of that has been developments on the domestic front, uh, but part of that has been uh, developments internationally. Fortunately, 2018 was a record year of, uh, we don't have the final numbers yet, but at least 1.6 billion gallons. Even uh, with the problems we've even had Even with the problems. Uh, and that's te- testament to a lot of people who have done a lot of hard work in opening markets uh, overseas, but 1.6 billion gallons, that's about one out of every 10 gallons uh, produced by the industry. Um, it could have been, uh, and we, we, may, we, we may yet get to 1.7 billion gallons, it could have been uh, even larger. One of the notable uh, uh, divots that the industry uh, took this past year was with respect to China. 
uh, as a result of the uh, the trade battle with with China. China increased tariffs on U.S. ethanol to 70 percent, virtually cut off. We had some exports early in early in the year, early in 2018, virtually cut off uh, that market for the rest of the year. We've as the RFA, we've been looking after uh, other markets where. Uh, there have been some creeping trade barriers in there, but we've managed to uh, maintain those markets and hope to grow them. Yep. Hopefully we'll see growth this year. We'll get these trade issues worked out. Scott, thank you very much. Great. Thanks, Mike. Scott Richmond, Chief Economist for the Renewable Fuels Association. That'll wrap it up for our coverage from here in Orlando. We'll have a final report tomorrow when I'm back in studio. We're also going to talk wetlands with the American Farm Bureau Federation, and we'll get the latest uh, ag equipment sales numbers tomorrow as well. Hope you'll join us right here on AOA. Oh, hey.